Welcome to In Case You Mythed It, the podcast about the myths of the world that you probably didn't hear about in school. I'm your host, Carl Gage, and today we continue our series on the myths surrounding the ancient city of Thebes. When I set out to do this, I did not know that there were so many important stories about this one little place, and I promise most of the other ones aren't like this. When we last left the famed City of the Seven Gates, it was as King Oedipus himself left, after discovering the terrible truth about himself and his parents, and gouging out his own eyes. You can hear more details about that in the previous episode, which I have titled Doomed to Succeed. Oedipus left the city in the care of Creon, his brother-in-law slash grandfather. After a short time, Oedipus's sons, Eteocles and Polynices, were both eligible to rule. As they had been cursed to die by one another's hands, some say by Oedipus himself, or some relatively minor slight in their childhood, they decided that they would trade the kingship, with Eteocles holding the title for a year, then handing it off to Polynices for the next year, and so on. The first year passed without incident, but when Polynices went to his brother to get the throne, Eteocles refused to step aside, and in fact had Polynices expelled from Thebes. Way to go against the prophecy, guys. Didn't even make it a single year. Now the story of what happens next comes down to us mostly in the form of a few works. Oedipus at Colonus by Sophocles, The Seven Against Thebes by Aeschylus, and the Latin epic poem Thebaide by the Roman poet Statius, all of which take place at roughly the same time. Now Polynices, having been denied his right by his oath-breaking brother, spends some time in the city of Argos, where he marries Argia, the daughter of King Odrastos. Supposedly, Argia was wearing the cursed Necklace of Harmonia at their wedding. The same necklace, in fact, that had been gifted to Cadmus and his wife Harmonia by Ares. Polynices asked Odrastos for help in reclaiming his throne, and Odrastos suggests that they get a group together. Thebes, it turned out, was not a very popular city among its neighbors, due no doubt to all the nonsense that had been going on there, as well as the fact that ancient Greeks really liked fighting one another, and the fact that the gods had decided a war between Thebes and Argos should happen anyway. Whatever the case, Adrastus and Polynices were able to assemble a force of seven champions. This group included Tideus, an exiled prince from the city of Caledon, near the modern city of Evinokori in western Greece. He was also married to Adrastos' other daughter, thus making him Polynices' brother-in-law. Next was Capanaeus, a very large, very strong, and very arrogant warrior. Hippomedon, another large and skilled man, from Lake Lerna, you know, where the Hydra is. Amphiareus, a seer and warrior, who initially refused to go to the war, as he had prophetic vision that all who attacked Thebes would die. He only changed his mind when his wife, Euryphile, convinced him to go, which she only did because she was bribed by Polynices with the Necklace of Harmonia. Parthenopaios was the seventh and final champion. From Arcadia in the central Peloponnese, he was the son of the fast-running, boar-hunting, Artemis-worshipping, apple-loving first girl boss, Atalanta. In some sources he is referred to as being quite young, though he is by no means a lesser warrior than the others. These five, joined by Polynices and Adrastos, made up the Seven Against Thebes. Each was joined by a band of soldiers from their native land. Why seven specifically? Well, because Thebes had seven gates in its famously large walls, 
which you may recall were built by one of the former kings playing a magical lyre that made the massive stones float around and fit themselves into place. The invasion did not get off to a good start, as their asking a woman for directions at one point to a spring resulted in the death of a child. The woman had set the child down to point to where the spring was, and the kid had been bitten by a serpent. Amphioreos, the seer, said that this incident did not bode well for them. You didn't need to be a seer to know that, but whatever. Meanwhile, in Thebes, news reached the city that an army of Argives, a name sometimes used to describe people from the Argolid or Argos and their surrounding region, is, was on its way to attack. The people, of course, panicked, and Eteocles asked the blind prophet Tiresias what the future holds. Held. Tiresias, ever vague, predicted a terrible war, but with a good outcome for Thebes. The panic somewhat subsided, the Thebans prepared to defend their city, and they selected seven champions of their own, each of whom would protect one gate. These are in no particular order. Melanippus, a big guy who defended the Proetid gate. The brothers Actor and Hyperbios, who defended the North and Athena Anca gates, respectively. Polyphontes, who defended the Electron gate. Lasthenes, who defended the Homoloid gate. Megareos, who defended the Nastan gate, and finally Eteocles himself, defender of the seventh gate. Real original name. Frankly, all of these guys, the only ones you re frankly, frankly, of all these guys, the only ones you really need to remember are Eteocles and Melanippus, and probably not even Melanippus now I think about it. Now, as the Argive army closed in on Thebes, it sent forth one of its champions, Tadeus, as an emissary. His mission was to attempt to negotiate a peaceful solution, and was instructed to do so by Athena herself. When he entered the palace of Eteocles, he found all of the champions and nobles of Thebes at a great feast. Instead of diplomatically eating with them, he challenged them all to various feats of strength to test their mettle against his. What precisely these feats were is unclear, but what is clear is that Athena assisted Tadeus so that he easily won all of them. You see, unbeknownst to Tadeus, or to anybody else, Athena intended to make the man a god once his glory as a mortal had been won. Tadeus then left, as a peaceful solution was not reached. However, Eteocles sent fifty Theban warriors after him, with orders to kill him before he reached his allies. Tadeus thus was ambushed by the fifty men, and, again with the divine aid of Athena, managed to kill all but one, whom he allowed to go home in accordance with omens from the gods. Thus, still alive and thoroughly angry, Tadeus reported back to the Argives that the assault on Thebes should begin as soon as possible. But before the battle can be joined, we must leave the land of seven-gated Thebes, and view events at an entirely different part of Greece. In the town of Colonus, just outside of Athens and within its territory, the old blind Oedipus arrived, accompanied by his daughter Antigone. They sat in a small area of the town for a while, before the villagers began demanding that they leave, for the ground on which they rested was sacred to the Eumenides, also known as the Erinues, also known as the Furies, goddesses of divine vengeance, whose very name was believed by the Greeks to curse whoever spoke it. When the villagers demanded to know his identity, Oedipus told them honestly, which frankly scared them even more than the fact that he had trespassed upon the sacred ground of the Furies. 
he was able to get them to agree to not forcibly remove him by, inform by informing them that he had something very important to tell their king, the hero Theseus, which would benefit all of Athens, and that he wished to wait in the sanctuary until Theseus arrived. While they waited there, Ismene, Oedipus's other daughter, arrived with news that the brothers were about to go to war, and that an army of Argives was forming to attack Thebes. She also warned Oedipus that the brothers had been given an oracle's prophecy that said the outcome of the war would depend upon where Oedipus was buried, so Oedipus should be expecting an emissary from each soon. Oedipus then cursed his sons once more, in this case because neither of them came to take care of him in his exile, while their sisters did. As such, Oedipus pledged himself to the land and people of Kolonos, and by extension Athens. Finally, Theseus arrived, and Oedipus gave to him the promised gift. A prophecy stated that whichever land held Oedipus's grave would triumph in war. He made it known to Theseus that he was choosing Colonus, and of course Athens, to be the site of his grave, which would ensure that Athens would triumph in war against Thebes. When Theseus protested that Athens and Thebes were friendly to one another, Oedipus told him that only the gods are eternal. Everything that mortals do can, and eventually does, end. After hearing Oedipus's tale, Theseus made him an Athenian citizen, and told the villagers to guard him. In the meantime, Theseus had royal duties to attend to. Following this, Creon arrived with a group of Thebans, as an emissary from Ateocles. He asked Oedipus to return, so that his side could win. When Oedipus refused, Creon had his men take Ismene and Antigone hostage. Fortunately, Theseus showed up with a group of Athenians and drove the Thebans away, returning the girls to Oedipus in the process. Theseus was only on his way to see Oedipus because somebody had shown up in the temple of Poseidon looking for him, his son Polynices. But he did not come to take Oedipus back to Thebes. Instead, he wanted his father to lift the curse that he had placed upon the brothers. Once again, Oedipus refused, and Polynices insulted him, which only caused Oedipus to curse him again. Antigone tried to get Polynices to call off the invasion, but the proud Polynices did not listen, and left to carry out his war. With that, a great thunderstorm descended upon Athens and its surroundings, which Oedipus interpreted as a sign from the gods that his hour of death was nigh. After pouring libations and preparing himself for death, he bade goodbye to his daughters, and, accompanied by only Theseus so that none would know where he was buried, left and died. With that detour out of the way, it is time for us to return to Thebes, where we will use the version of events recounted by the Roman poet Statius in the epic Thebaid. The battle broke out when the Argive army killed the tigers of Bacchus, another name for Dionysus, which provoked the Thebans to begin the fighting. Amphioreus, the seer, spurred on by his patron Apollo, slew many Theban soldiers from his chariot. However, he gained the attention of a Theban, a son of Poseidon, who chased him and was about to spear him in the back. Zeus, wishing to spare Amphioreus from such an ignoble end, instead caused the ground to open up and swallow the seer, chariot and all. Apparently, death by divine ground opening was a more honorable death than getting stabbed in the back. Regardless of how honorable it may have been, the death of Amphiaraeus was disturbing enough to stop the fighting for a brief time, and the Argives mourned while the Thebans celebrated. After rituals were performed, the next morning, 
The battle resumed. Tadeus had his great moment of glory, slaughtering large numbers of Theban soldiers with the aid of advice of Athena. When he caught sight of Ateocles, Tadeus charged. However, he was stopped by Melanippus, one of the defending champions. The two fought fiercely, and Tadeus was wounded mortally, but managed to kill Melanippus. Then, in a war frenzy, Tadeus beheaded Melanippus and began to eat his brains. So disgusting was this dying act of Tadeus that Athena changed her mind about making him a god and sent his spirit to Hades like all the other dead. Tadeus's cannibalistic final moments were noticed by both armies, and a violent battle ensued over his corpse, as each group now wanted it for their own purposes. Hippomedon, the very large man from Lerna, managed to briefly take possession of Tadeus's corpse, but was then tricked by an illusion created by the fury Tisiphone, whose name means Avenger of Blood. Hippomedon, thus led astray, began his own killing spree of Thebans, in the bed of the river Ismenos. Among those he killed was Crinaeus, the grandson of the god of the river. In vengeance for this act, the river began to rise, and Hippomedon began to drown. As he did, Hippomedon asked the gods to spare him such an ignominious end. Hera heard his prayer, and had Zeus convince the river god to stop. When Hippomedon climbed out of the water, it was to find the powerful current had stripped him of his armor, which was inconvenient for him, as no sooner had he stepped onto the shore than a hail of Theban arrows and spears reached him, killing him in a more noble, though unintentionally comedic, fashion. A Theban soldier found his helmet, and moved to return to Thebes with it as a trophy. He didn't get very far, as he was then killed by Capaneus. At the same time, Atalanta, horrified by visions of the death of her son Parthenopaios, prayed to Artemis for his protection, or at least that he die with honor. Artemis attempted to carry out the prayer of her greatest follower, but was driven off by Ares, acting at the urging of Aphrodite, his mistress, who always had an issue with Artemis. Drias, a Theban son of Orion, mortally wounded Parthenopaios with a spear, before being himself killed by an arrow fired by an unknown Argive. Parthenopaios died among his fellow Arcadian comrades, admitting that, perhaps, he should not have gone to war after all. Shortly thereafter, many of the Arcadians were killed, and his body was taken by the Thebans, who also succeeded in taking that of Tadeus. In Argos, a group of women prayed to Hera, asking that she aid their men in battle. Hera heard their prayer, and enlisted Hypnos, god of sleep, to help her. At Hypnos's command, the Thebans fell into a deep sleep. With their enemies suddenly unconscious, the Argives begin to commit a war crime, killing as many Thebans as they can. A couple Argive soldiers attempted to get the bodies of Parthenopaios and Tadeus. However, the Thebans woke up and killed them. We are told that they died and fell on top of the bodies they had been trying to retrieve. With so many Thebans dead, the Argives then began mounting a full attack on the city itself. Capaneus, the arrogant Argive, brought a ladder to the walls. He climbed up, and in an act of frankly absurd hubris, proclaimed that he was such a great warrior, Zeus himself could not stop him from taking Thebes. In response, a thunderbolt blasted from the heavens and incinerated Capaneus. The attack continued, though it does not appear any other Argives decided to use a ladder after that. Within the city, Eteocles, once again distressed, asked Tiresias what they should do. Tiresias performed the proper rituals and returned with an answer from the gods. If they wanted peace to come without the destruction of Thebes, then Menoikios, the son of Creon, had to sacrifice himself. 
Well, specifically, they said that one of the Spartoi had to sacrifice himself, but it was Minoikius who volunteered. He climbed up atop the city wall and threw himself to the ground, dying on impact. It would appear that his sacrifice had the desired effect. The fighting stopped. During the unofficial truce, the Fury Tisiphone and her sister Megaira influenced the mind of Polynices to challenge his brother to single combat. At first, Eteocles was hesitant, but at the urging of Creon, he walked outside the city to meet the challenge. The brothers dueled. Being brothers, they were evenly matched, and the end only came when each landed a fatal blow upon the other at the same time. They died where they stood, each brother clutching the blade that they had driven into the other. With that bleak finale, the battle was over. Adrastos, the last surviving Argive champion, escaped thanks to the speed of his divine horse, Arion. With Polynices dead, he had no reason to fight anymore, as well as very few men who would help him fight anyway. As for Thebes, with the last existing male descendants of Cadmus now lying dead, the kingship passed to Creon. Wishing to instill stability in his city, Creon decreed that only the dead of Thebes be buried, while the remains of all of the Argive champions and their men were to be left to rot where they fell. This, unfortunately for all involved, included Polynices, whose sisters Antigone and Ismene were still very much alive. Now this episode has gone on fairly long as is, and to get into what happened next would extend it even further, so unfortunately we will have to continue it at a later date. I'm thinking of doing a special side series, now that I have time, on the women of myth. Stay tuned for that. In other news, now that my semester has finally ended, I intend to not only make episodes more regularly again, but also to make more episodes per month. So, until next time, thank you for listening.